Welcome to the Mountain Brook Baptist Church podcast. We pray that this message will help you in your walk with Christ. Look at uh, two passages of Scripture. One, Psalm 22. And I'm going to just read for you to begin with just the first two verses and we'll refer back to it. And then Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 through 50. I invite you to listen carefully, for this is God's word to us. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of the men at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There are a lot of things that I love about springtime in Alabama. I love driving around and seeing um, the beautiful colors on display this time of year. In case you have grown accustomed to it, Mountain Brook is a really beautiful place to drive through in the spring. Um, Recently, we were coming back 280, and we took a detour on the way to our house, and we drove through what felt like the middle of nowhere country roads from where I'm from. And you just look around, there's just color, there's just beauty everywhere this time of year. I love baseball season. I talk about it too much, but I do. It's one of the reasons that I love spring. Red Sox have their home opener during this service. How inconvenient of them (laughs) to schedule it at such a time as this. A few things I don't like. I don't love pollen. I know it's coming every year, but for some reason it surprises me of how it blankets everything um, everywhere for a while. And I don't particularly like the storms that come in the spring. It seems like this year especially... Every other day, it feels like James Spann is interrupting whatever favorite television show you have to come on in his suspenders and start talking about polygons. <laughs> and um, he pinpoints some random gas station near your house and says, if you're there, go find your safe place. <laughs> and he always answers this question that, you know, it's, it's, he, he probably tires of getting this question. It seems like a a reasonable question. Is this going to be as bad as when? 2011, I think it was, when all the tornadoes came through. Is it going to be that bad? And his response is the same every time. He said, well, it all depends. If a tornado hits your house, it's going to be as bad as it was in 2011. But for those of us who haven't had our houses destroyed by a tornado, at least in our time here in Birmingham, or we haven't lost loved ones, for us, the warnings kind of, we, we lose sight of the impact. We move on about our lives, but we know that it's very 
possible that one day a, a tornado may veer off the path and, and hit our house. And there is this part of being human that I find peculiar even in myself, that I can tell you today that the world is broken. I can tell you today that there is suffering everywhere around the world like I have never experienced and perhaps never will. The situation in Ukraine highlights that for us. We know somewhere in the back of our minds that people are in the midst of a war zone even now. But it feels to us to be remote and far away and not in some ways real because we're not embattled with it. I was listening to a news podcast this week and learned, maybe you all know this already, the country of Yemen has been involved in a civil war for like seven years. And I didn't even know about it. And I'm going about my daily life enjoying the things that I enjoy, and I know somewhere out there that it's true that the world is broken. But until it buries down on my house in particular, I don't wrestle with where is God in all of this. But one of the things that I love about pastoral ministry is that it doesn't let you dabble in theoretical, theological propositions. Things that may sound good in a classroom feel different when you're sitting across the room from someone who you know and who you love, and metaphorically, the tornado has come to their house. They've gotten a diagnosis of cancer, or they lost their job, or they have deep relational strife with their spouse. And in those moments, it just doesn't help to say, well, the Lord is good, it's going to be okay. Because it doesn't line up with our experience. And there's a form of Christianity that I think tries to be oblivious to the realities of the world. I'll admit to you that I can't often listen to Christian radio. Please don't boo me. In part because when I turn it on, the, the relative surface level Christianity that I often hear espoused doesn't line up with my own experience. And it doesn't line up with the experience of people that I love. People who, that I, for all I can tell, are doing the best they can to follow after Jesus. Who are doing the best they can to live the life that God's called them to. And because we live in a fallen world, difficulty and hardship has come to them. But the thing I love about the Bible, in contrast, is that the Bible does not hide the difficulties of living in a fallen world. And the Psalms especially don't hide it. Recently, as I was studying the Psalms for a class here at the church, I was persuaded by the truth that really the, the overarching message of the Psalms is the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. Over every square inch of creation, God is sovereign and he reigns. But throughout the Psalms, in ways that make us somewhat uncomfortable in church, the psalmist wrestle with the truth that God reigns in their current experience where they don't see God's hand at work in their lives. The psalmist say things like, God, are you awake? Do you see what's happening to us? We're like sheep being led to the slaughter 
and you're not doing anything about it. Imagine me praying that one Sunday morning in the pulpit. Might wake a few people up at least. But you know that to be true in your life as well. We could probably go around this chapel this morning and we could tell stories of where we've seen good people suffer, of where we can't understand the difference that we seem to experience in our lives and what we know to be true. And it's most fully on display for us here in Psalm 22 in Matthew chapter 27. We don't know what specific incident may have caused David to write Psalm 22. As far as we know, there's no particular thing that, we, that happened in his life that would match up with the depth of suffering that he reflects on here in this passage. But we know that he feels forsaken by God. Have you ever been to a place that felt for you God-forsaken, a literal place? I lived in Cape Town, South Africa for a year and a half. And one of the things that I got to do was travel a little bit around sub-Saharan Africa. And I went to a country called Namibia one time. Didn't even know it existed before I went over there. And at one point, the people who were natives of the land had a war with the Germans. And we were driving through this particular piece of land. And I read enough to know that there was a, a fight there, a battle there. And I told the people with me, who would fight over this? I think I would have said, Germans, you can have it. We're going over there. It, it just looked desolate and, in a way, a picture of what it would maybe think of as God forsaken. Just dry and arid and dusty. But David recounts a time in his life where he felt forsaken by God. And he cries out to God in a very honest way. Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. And then in verse 3 of Psalm 22, he, he reflects on what he knows to be true about God, even in the midst of hardship. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. So on a national level, David says, I can look back in the past and I can see your hand at work in the lives of your people and the way that you redeemed them. Verse 6, but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Listen to verse 8. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. You can just hear the animosity in David's opponents. It feels like almost for me, Job's wife, when Job is walking through a season of suffering, and she says, why don't you just curse God and die? Talk about a helpmate. <laughs> but these people seem to be saying the same thing. David if you trust in the Lord, where is he in this moment? And then David reflects next on not just the national ways that they've seen God at work among the people, but he talks about the intimate relationship that he feels like he's had with God since the day he was born. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. 
On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. David will go on and on, and he will describe the people who are attacking him in this moment. The only words that he can grasp that seem to reflect the severity of their attacks, he, he calls them by animal names. He talks about lions and bulls and talks about dogs and, and not the cute dogs you have at your house. Think more hyena. Right? This company of evildoers that are coming after him. His body is wasting away. And in this moment, he cries most fervently for God to be present. For God to be with him in the midst of his suffering. You and I can't help but read Psalm 22 and think about Jesus on the cross. We've, we've heard probably and read the crucifixion account so many times that as you work your way through Psalm 22, you just you can't help but see Jesus on the cross. And one of the things that's clear in Matthew's description of Jesus' betrayal, arrest, trial, and crucifixion is that he is an innocent sufferer. That though people try to bring claims against him, they try to trump up charges that would be worthy of crucifixion, every person who Jesus stands before and is called to give answer tries to figure out what in the world is happening. Because this man is innocent. But the people are enraged at who he is and what he's done and what he's said. And the crucifixion account, and I would encourage you to read it this afternoon for yourself in any of the Gospels. Go on and on about the severity of what Jesus endured for us. And it wasn't just the physical hardship that I think was the hardest, though, though I wouldn't want to sign up for that part either. But in addition to all of that, there's the ridicule. He claimed to be the Son of God. If he is, where is his God in this moment? And Jesus, the one who has a relationship with God the Father from eternity past, walks through this moment and he asks, where is my Father in this moment? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, people much smarter than me have spent a lot of time, as you might imagine, arguing about what exactly happened in this moment. What exactly happened when Jesus was on the cross and he felt forsaken by his father? And I'm usually a pretty middle-of-the-road, safe theological person. I don't try to go to extremes in either way. But some people say that in this moment, God the Father turned his back. I don't think that's true. I think that in this moment, God the Father was very much present in Jesus' suffering. And that, that even though Jesus felt like he had been abandoned and forsaken by his Father, he was very much there. And you see this at the end of Psalm 22. The psalmist, as is often the case in lament psalms, turns to a section where he expresses confidence in God's salvation, 
that one day God will redeem even the worst circumstances, even the terrible stuff of Psalm 22. Verse 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he is not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. I think when Jesus quotes Psalm 22 early on, I think he has all of the psalm in view. And that he cries out, knowing that he feels forsaken and abandoned by his father. But ultimately, even in that moment, he will commit his spirit to the Lord and be called on to experience faith, even when everything around him seems to point in a different direction. I think that's the struggle that each of us will face at some point in our lives. Unless Jesus comes back first, everybody in this chapel in a hundred years, we're all dead. A hundred years, all new people. And I don't know how it's going to happen in your life, and I don't know how it's going to happen in my life, and I don't know if the tornado, so to speak, will come tomorrow. I don't know if it'll come when I'm 99 or 100 or some crazy age out there in the future. But I know it will come. And it may be that it comes with horrific circumstances around it. I may get a terrible diagnosis. I may have a terrible car wreck. I do not know, and you do not know either. And it may be that you will feel forsaken by God in that moment. And I can only relate to you to a certain point. I would imagine if you talk to my kids today, um, I, I, I did feel the vulnerability of being exposed by the preacher last night, I'll admit. So I'll keep this very general. But if any of my children get hurt doing anything, I'm not the first person to turn to. I'm not the most sympathetic person. I'm the, it's going to be okay, rub some dirt in it, put some tape on it, get back out there person. But even at my best, I can only walk with you and your suffering to a certain point. If your house has never been knocked down by a tornado, you don't know what it's like to feel the fear at the forecast. If you've never had the diagnosis or you've never had the tragedy, as much as you want to, you're limited in how you can fully appreciate the struggle of what someone else is facing. I, I don't listen to very many Latin masses, I'll admit. Um, you're more likely to find me listening to Tom Petty. But he, he has a song and a phrase that rings out, you don't know how it feels. You don't know how it feels to be me. And in that song, he turns to things other than God to medicate his struggle and his frustration. But he's right. I ultimately don't know what it's like to be him. And I won't fully know what it's like to be you. But I think Good Friday is good because Jesus does. And I don't say that in a glib way, that somehow that takes away the struggle or that takes away the pain. But when nobody else knows what it's like to be in your shoes, 
And when you truly feel like you've been forsaken by God, Good Friday is good news because Jesus, he knows. And he is with us in our suffering. He is with us in our hardship. And we have the benefit of being on this side of Resurrection Sunday. That we know that ultimately God the Father would vindicate Jesus when he raised him from the dead and overcame death and sin and hell and the grave. We don't have the luxury, perhaps, of knowing how God's going to work redemptively in our suffering. We don't know. But Andrew Peterson, he has a song called Always Good that I think communicates um, perhaps the heart of, of my sermon. That you're always good, always good, as we try to believe what is not meant to be understood. Will you help us to trust your intentions for us are still good? Because you laid down your life and you suffered like I never could. Even in our darkest days, God is good. And ultimately, we are people of faith who walk through hardship and trust that not even our worst circumstances in this life are beyond God's redemptive power to use for our good and for his glory. I invite you to pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this day. And we thank you that you are a God who can handle everything we bring before you. We confess that you are good and that you reign over every square inch of creation and that your purposes will come to pass most certainly in this world and in our lives. But we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you endure the cross on our behalf, yes, to secure our redemption and our salvation, but also that you might become a merciful and faithful high priest that you know what it's like to be us in every way yet without sin. And so we pray that you would give us the faith to walk each day that you give us in this world, trusting that you are good and that you are present. And we thank you that you will never leave us or forsake us. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Once again, I ask you to turn to page 445 as we sing the final stanza of There is a Fountain for this service today. Stand with me as we sing. For since by faith I saw Kelly, thank you for all of the work you did to plan these services and all you did um, to plan last night's service. This is, a, if this is a busy week for me, just multiply it for Kelly. Um, so thanks for all of your hard work and all you did.
Um, thanks again, they're already gone to everybody who made lunch possible. I'd encourage you if you can stay for lunch, we would love to have you. And make sure you're nice to your servers. You don't have to tip them, but just thank them um, for what they're doing. And if you get a chance, poke your head in the kitchen and thank Carrie and her crew. They've, they've put a lot of time and effort into making lunch possible for us. Hope that you will uh, make plans to join us on Easter Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection. I'm going to pray for us, and the prayer will serve as our blessing for the meal. Father, thank you for the many ways that you show your goodness and your grace in our lives. You're merciful beyond what we can comprehend. Thank you for giving us the chance to gather today, and we thank you for the food that you provided for us, and we pray you would bless the hands that prepared it, and that you would give us grateful hearts, and we would encourage each other in our fellowship. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that today's message brought you hope as we continue to love God and live with grace and generosity. Be sure to check back here for more podcasts. And as always, go out and do the Lord's good work. Thank you.